Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So, um, what's this uh, this psyche, this psyche thing we all have? We have a psyche. Hey, I'm psyched about my psyche. And it, uh, in a generic sense, that's kind of pretty much true. But, some bitch, if you look at the billions of people on the planet, the idea of a psyche becomes really vague because there's so many different ideas or experiences that people are having with their own, quote, psyche, unquote. How many people are struggling with their lives? How many people have had their lives turned upside down? And in the past, several years, they don't know where to hang their hat. The The idea of normal flew out the door a while back, and uh, sometimes it's not always obvious um, which way to face, what to choose. When we, when we think about the psyche, we can load ourselves up with dogma, with karma, with trauma, with um, emotional baggage, with belief systems and attitudes and fears and anxiety, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can, the psyche seems to be like a, sh- a shopping cart. You know, you just load crap in and pretty soon uh, it's difficult to push and it, it doesn't steer very well and and it gets frustrating and and then I think there's a time in our life path that our soul said, okay, enough swimming in the swimming in the mud. Let's let's evolve ourselves out of this trauma, out of this turmoil, out of this suffering, out of this. Um, karmic stigma that we might have loaded ourselves up with. I'm I'm stoked for tonight's episode. The topic tonight is mental health benefits of microdosing psilocybin. And our guest tonight is Charity Mills. We're gonna bring her on in just a minute. But but this this psyche thing, I mean we talk about the big E, enlightenment, and we, and we talk about consciousness. We talk about uh, all manner of healing and and whatnot on the show over the years. But I like tonight's episode because we're we're talking about a um, a relatively new modality or process i mean the the actual mechanics of what we're talking about tonight has been around forever but here in the here in colorado in the united states of america recent changes in the laws have made microdosing psilocybin a, a, a legal choice and for a lot of people, uh, they don't have any experience with with psilocybin and microdosing, and and yet it looks like a very powerful modality, very powerful modality. For myself, I I saw my dad struggle with. Uh, post-war PTSD to an extreme. I mean, he had five heart attacks. Uh, he had he had a real tempest going on inside his psyche, and um, he's he's long past. But I would have loved to have seen uh, uh, him healed. Him. Um, free from the burden of what was loaded up in his psyche during the war. 
World War II. So um, I wanted to give another shout-out to India. India, you guys are pacing really well. You you comprise a, a significant part of our audience, and I applaud you for that. You know, there's the Eastern and the Western, um, kind of the yin and the yang of the human psyche, so to speak. And I very much appreciate um, ha- having you as our audience. And uh, Australia as well is showing some trending numbers, so I appreciate you guys. It's, uh, it's been a, it's a, uh, I've, having this show is a very uh, dear part of my life. I very much appreciate spending these episodes with y'all. Well, enough of that. Let's get to it. I think we're going to have plenty to talk about. Again, the topic tonight is mental health benefits of microdosing psilocybin. And our guest tonight is Charity Mills. We're going to talk about the science behind the beliefs of using psilocybin and how it it differs from pharmaceuticals. Why microdosing provides helpful, long-term, permanent changes in the brain and how incorporating therapy enhances the microdosing process. We'll gain insights on how naturally rewind the brain permits you to question previously held beliefs and grow your own thoughts. I just like that. The trademark slogan of Colorado Teletherapy Services. Charity is the president of Colorado Teletherapy Services, CTS, and a licensed clinical mental mental health practitioner. CTS is committed to changing how mental health therapy is being provided so individuals can make long-term healthy life choices. You can learn more at Colorado Teletherapy therapyservices.com. Join me in welcoming Charity to the show. Welcome to the show, Charity. Well, thank you, Les. I'm excited to be here tonight and share more uh, about these mental health benefits of microdosing psilocybin and getting more insight into the psyche, as you said. Well, the... um, when when we think about the um, what we're talking about here, I mean, there's so many different um, terms we can use, like PTSD, trauma, um, the, the various ways that our our psyche is um, sometimes scarred, sometimes seared, sometimes. Um, we load up with so much pain, really. When when we're looking at the mechanism of the psyche, um, how, how can we how can we view it to understand what I'm getting at here? Is we're going to talk about microdosing psilocybin, and so when we look at the psyche and it's loaded up with heartache and trauma and stress and PTSD. How does psilocybin as a mechanism, as a vehicle, help our psyche perhaps unravel or or restore ourselves back to um, a more healthy and whole persona? That is a loaded question, but also very simple. <laughs> so what time. I'd like to do is start... <laughs> Start backwards at the beginning. Think about human beings. And, you know, right now you mentioned words like trauma, PTSD. Often we talk about anxiety, depression. Um, A lot of these uh, diagnoses type of terminology that we put to how we feel and how we experience life 
But if we go back to the beginning of what our most natural state is, when we come into the world as a baby, we come in just to survive. We're here as a human being, as a part of nature in a, in a bigger construct, much bigger than just ourselves. And our most primitive state is wired to survive. So as a baby, when we need something, then we learn that if we cry, somebody responds, typically. If somebody doesn't respond, that teaches us that crying and our needs are not important. So even then we can start having some of those um, unhealthy thoughts and ideas and learned ways about society and about people and what we need to do to survive. But as we grow, all those messages from all the various experiences that we have carry on with us. So we get into our teenage years and we talk about survival in a different way depending on the type of household that we were raised in. From the time we're born until the age we are now, we've learned that the world works in a certain way. And that way becomes very rigid in how we process our thoughts. But everything we do, every coping mechanism that we have is based on that initial instinct of survival. As we move through from a very natural state that we come into the world, though, into more of uh, what I call a modified state, that modification happens based off the environment and the messages that we tell ourselves. So then when something happens to us, it holds a meaning to it. We can go through a lot of experiences, and if they don't mean anything to us, then there's no impact. It's just something that happened. You know, today I wore a blue shirt. doesn't mean anything, just the shirt that pulled out of the closet. But today somebody cut me off in traffic. Well, they must not have seen me. Nobody sees me. I'm not important. My feelings are never validated. I'm always overlooked. That one idea of somebody cutting us off in traffic has now become something that we use to reinforce negative thoughts and unhealthy belief systems about ourselves, And that is where we end up in these rigid, harmful thoughts about our environment and most importantly about ourselves and how we respond to other people. The thing about the brain from a physiological science standpoint is that the brain is an efficient computer. So as this rigid thinking becomes more and more rigid and these belief systems become more and more ingrained, the brain is always looking for paths of least resistance. So we stop assessing things that are happening to, happening to us and looking for other perspectives and we start just responding. And that's where you often will see people respond out of anger or out of hurt. And it's because there's a belief system in there that's much deeper than that moment, but that's what's programming them to show up in a certain way in order to self-protect. So when something significant happens, war is, I'm going to call an easy one to use when we're talking about trauma because there's so much that happens during that time period and so many um, new beliefs and understandings of the world that are taken in in those situations, then the brain is forever changed in a chemical way. The only way to change the way a lot of those thoughts and belief systems are held because they are so rigid and firm, because we are wired to self-protect and retain knowledge, is to change it from a chemical perspective. Psilocybin has been shown to have neuroplasticity properties, which means new nerve endings and new neural connections are formed, which allows us to literally change the way that we think. And that's the precursor to really understanding what is it that psilocybin does that's so different from any other pharmaceutical out there or any other drug out there. So the transformation of how we think because as I as I listen to what you're saying so often the the patterning so to speak of these types of traumas on our psyche really does kind of get us in a a, a rut of experience or a, a really repetitive um survival um mindset and and to to really heal it is is to transform to transform those patterns that don't serve us i mean in a lot of ways it can be survival tactics 
it's not that those patterns are um, not to be expected, but when so if I think of myself healing, I I need to transform the patterns I'm I'm living in my in my life. And so what you're saying is the the psilocybin gives us an opportunity to uh, to rewire or perhaps reprogram those those heavily ingrained patterns. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And I, I appreciate the point that you brought up in kind of reiterating where I started, which is that these thoughts and these belief systems and, and thought patterns are there for survival. And so what once served as a coping mechanism, say within an alcoholic household where some a child learns to always have a heightened awareness about the emotional state of a parent who has a drinking uh, problem and becomes very violent. They learn to always have this hyper-awareness because that's how they survive, always right. measuring the emotional temperature, so to speak, of the room and trying to um, be uh, on the front end of anything that might possibly happen. So that is a coping mechanism at that point for survival. They don't want chaos to ensue. So what do I need to do to make sure there's no chaos? Do I need to clean the house this way or make dinner this way or keep siblings quiet or, you know, whatever it might be that they learn? When they carry that into adulthood, though, then there's this hyper-awareness of something bad always going to happen and always being in this mentally hyper-aware and hyper-vigilant state. And it becomes very challenging just to relax. And that's when we look at something like anxiety and people say, I just have this overwhelming anxiety all the time the brain has learned it's not safe to relax. Something can happen that's unexpected and dangerous. So with that rewiring, yes, what once served as a coping mechanism for survival at one age is now something that's become harmful and detrimental at a different age. So when we can recognize that, though, we take away the judgment from the self of, I'm just incapable of having healthy relationships, or I just don't know how to relax, or I need to figure out work-life balance. No, what is the root? The root is that you've been trained, your brain understands that in order to survive, this is how we think, except we don't need to do that anymore. And what right. do we <laughs> But now what do I do? How do I just stop doing that, <laughs> you know? Um, it's like saying, don't eat chocolate cake anymore when your favorite food is chocolate cake. Well, can I have strawberry cake with chocolate frosting? You know, how do I do this? <laughs> how do I make this change? And... So when we look at how to change the thoughts and the thinking, we have to create new exit ramps, so to speak, within the brain. When the thought starts going down a certain path, recognizing what's happening and being willing to say, oh, I see the pattern in this thought and I don't want to go down this path anymore. And that's what traditional therapy has done. Traditional therapy or talk therapy is you go and talk to a counselor or a therapist and you tell them all of your problems and they help you figure out what your problems are and what some solutions are. And sometimes they will actually go deep enough with you to help you recognize some of these ingrained belief systems and how they're showing up in your life and how to change them. And so then you work really, really hard to be aware of every single thought so you can stop it and so you can pause it and think about something different and don't think this way and think that way. And it's a lot of work. So when we add psilocybin to that, which is changing the chemical part physiologically in the brain to open up new neural pathways so the brain says, aha, hey, here's another option. I can go down this path instead. It becomes so much easier to change the way that we're thinking. I say that adding psilocybin marries the physiological part of the brain changing chemically, but the psychological part of what somebody's potentially trying to do in therapy and brings those two together so the whole process it becomes a lot more a lot easier. So nice. that's where those said survival patterns can change. Well now there's there's many different uh treatments or modalities, so to speak, how does psilocybin different from, like, perhaps uh, pharmaceutical approaches? Pharmaceuticals have been around for a long time because as humans, again, what we don't want is discomfort. 
I feel sad, make me feel happy. I feel cold, make me feel warm. I feel hungry, feed me. You know, we don't, the human body does not like sitting in a state of discomfort. And so the pharmaceutical industry has capitalized on this in a massive way by saying, hey, here's a whole bunch of medication options you can take, and we're going to call them happy pills. And we're going to label them as Xanax and Zoloft and Paxil and Abilify and Cymbalta and Vralar and all these other fancy names and show you commercials on TV so you can go in and ask your doctor how you can be happy. Except what that's actually doing, and for anyone who's listening who's been on any of the SSRI or SNRI um, antidepressant or anti-anxiety type of medications, you will understand that, yes, you take this pill and maybe you find the right one that's most helpful to you the first time that actually has tolerable side effects, but maybe it takes you three or four tries and a couple of years of trying pills to find one that is more tolerable than another. But at some point, you have to take more, and it really dulls the emotions. So what the pharmaceuticals do when we're looking at an SSRI, which is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, the first thing is by stopping the reuptake of serotonin and holding it in the body, the body is told, oh, I don't need to make any more serotonin because what I have is not being used up or it's just being reused. So I don't need to make any new serotonin. That causes problems when individuals want to come off of the medication because there's a huge emotional crash because there's no serotonin being made anymore, a very small amount. It takes a a lot of those withdrawal symptoms are because of a lack of serotonin. So that's number one. The second thing it does is it increases blood flow to the amygdala. So the amygdala is the part of of the brain um, where fight or flight and fear originate from. And so rather than having uh, living in a state of anxiety and, you know, fight or flight awareness, we're just going to increase blood flow to that area, and now you're numb. So, okay, I don't have suicidal ideations. I'm not depressed. I'm not hyper-anxious. But I also have no joy, contentment, not looking forward to anything. And people often describe that they feel really flat or blunted. Um, The... Uh, third thing that they um, that they do, or I'm sorry, the counterpart of that when it comes to psilocybin is looking at the different types of serotonin receptors. So that third aspect would be which serotonin receptors are we looking at? The SSRIs target the 5-HT1A receptors. These are often referred to as the passive coping serotonin um, receptors. And they re- it reduces aggression, reduces anxiety, and overall feelings of stress. But it's just that impact is lessened. So it's not legitimately changing anything that's happening. It's saying this is also happening. It's just I'm not responding to it in the same way. Psilocybin has a chemical structure that is so similar to serotonin that it actually perfectly fits our serotonin receptors. Another piece of that that's really cool, though, is it impacts our 5-HT2A serotonin receptors. And um, these mediate functions such as our mood, our learning, our creativity, our perception. So they're often referred, this is often referred to as the active coping serotonin pathway, which means that the brain can actually change the way that it responds and functions when it's experiencing stress. So instead of being in a stressful situation and just saying, okay, this doesn't bother me as much as it used to, you're actually impacting a completely different receptor site that allows you to change the way that you respond in experiencing the stress. And that goes back to that neuroplasticity aspect of psilocybin. Uh, Similarly with the amygdala, there's a completely opposite effect there. Psilocybin reduces blood flow to the amygdala, meaning we're not sitting in that place of fear, fight or flight, and you have the fullness of your human emotional spectrum, but at the same time, it is quieting down our default mode network. The default mode network is what I like to refer to as that part of the brain that is our inner dialogue. So it's where a number of different regions of the brain come together, but by definition, it's default mode. It's our rigid highway. When something happens, My super-efficient computer brain says, oh, this happened, this feels familiar, so here's the response. 
by quieting down that default mode network, it quiets that inner dialogue and again provides an opportunity for there to be a thought before a response, an awareness of what is happening, an awareness of emotion and why is this emotion here instead of it just being emotion response. So trying to recap the difference, the primary differences between the uh, pharmaceuticals and psilocybin, different serotonin receptors, um, which changes our response to anxiety instead of just not feeling it the same way. Lowered blood flow to the amygdala instead of increased blood flow to the amygdala. So you have those emotional experiences, but they're mediated. And then a quieting of the default mode network or that inner dialogue so you're able to actually respond and think through the situation in a different way. And one thing that's really cool is that MRI um, uh, uh, exams now are showing that that default mode, not only is it quieted, but over time with continued use of psilocybin, it resets. So you're not always sitting in this just quieted inner dialogue. The inner dialogue changes because the belief system, the understanding of where the thoughts are originating changes. And so I think, again, reflecting back to that aspect that these are permanent long-term changes, legitimately changing the way that you think, um, not just a Band-Aid, which is how I describe the SSRIs. Nice. There's, I've talked to um, quite a few vets and, and practitioners of microdosing and, and to try to understand the, the experience or perhaps the, the value of it, particularly as a, a, a treatment. And a pretty consistent thing I heard from people is that um, it, it's a much more organic um, effect. In other words, the, the, the idea of side effects are considerably reduced, and through microdosing, they feel more natural. They feel at home in their own skin. They feel um, a, a sense of ease, and, and there's not... Uh, nearly as much of uh, the side effects as as you have mentioned. So so let's let's take a look at the the idea of microdosing and and psilocybin. Uh, what is microdosing? <laughs> Good question. We kind of jumped in in the middle, didn't we? Why is it great? Oh wait, what is it? <laughs> so. Um, you know, when we are looking at psilocybin, first, psilocybin is derived from um, a mushroom, a psychedelic mushroom um, that contains psilocybin. There's over a hundred different kinds of psilocybin-containing mushrooms that are found in nature. And so I do want to touch on just quickly that knowing the strain of mushroom that you're using is very important because different psychedelic mushrooms do have different properties to them. Some have stronger hallucinogenic properties to them. And so for an individual who's experiencing anxiety, for example, or working um, through a pretty traumatic experience, they're not going to want to use a mushroom that might potentially increase their anxiety. Um, so the only uh, the mushroom that has the most research behind it and is most commonly used and known for mental health purposes is Golden Teacher. And it's known by the white stem and the golden cap. It's one of the more gentle psychedelic mushrooms. And um, the psilocybin that is in it, when it's ingested in, in the body, it actually converts to psilocin, which is the active ingredient in it. So when taken in large amounts, which is if we watch Netflix specials and some of the other um, specials that are out there and talking about using psilocybin for mental health, often they show a large experience and often termed a macrodose experience. And this is where you see somebody laying down on the bed and a couple of clinicians there with them. They typically will have an eye mask on and maybe some headphones and be listening to some music. And they sit there and participate in this experience for about four to six hours. And it's a very, very long experience. It's a very deep um, mental experience 
and it takes the day and typically you'll have you know therapeutic session prior and after when you're really doing this type of experience for mental health when we but when we look at those experiences i call that a mountaintop experience i think everybody kind of relates to what that might mean whether you go on a spiritual retreat or a vacation or a time to yourself um, you know climb a mountain you have these spiritually um, existential moments where you feel like you're one with nature you're removed from everything that's the daily life chaos you're able to reflect on your life in a different way and uh, so that would be that mountaintop experience and these macro doses are very similar to that you go very deep into the psyche you might go back into time and process um, things that have been there or things that you're facing now. A lot of the research is surrounding individuals who might have a, a diagnosis for a terminal illness and death is closer than they thought it was going to be. So it's a deep experience that happens in a relatively short amount of time. But it's the one and done, so to speak. Can there be lasting benefits to that? Absolutely, 100%. We hear a lot of stories about that. But over time, those things do wane in certain aspects because, again, we're human. And even after a, micro, a, a mountaintop experience, you come back to your everyday life, your same job, your same spouse, your same car, your same finances and bank account, your same stressors. Microdosing is what I call that little daily amount to help an individual think differently about themselves in the bigger context of their life from a day-to-day basis. So microdosing is using a very small amount, a fraction of what you would take for a, a, a macrodose. And so oftentimes um, people will start at maybe 0.1 of a gram, which is 100 milligrams. You take a, a mushroom and you grind it up and you measure out 0.1 of a gram, that's going to be about a sixteenth of a teaspoon. It's a very, very, very small amount. Now, each person is different. For some people, 0.1 of a gram or 100 milligrams is just fine for them. For others, they might need more. For individuals who are on pharmaceuticals, typically they'll need a higher dose, um, especially to offset, again, what the SSRIs are doing to the brain. And that provides opportunity to then titrate off the pharmaceuticals and not have that huge serotonin crash. So just to kind of put that concept out there. But the idea of the microdose is you're taking your dose about three to five times a week. Some people will dose Monday through Friday and take weekends off. Some will dose every other day. Um, Some will dose for two days and then take three days off. It is an individualized experience, and as you go through it, kind of learn what works best for your body. But it's using that small amount where you're still able to fully function in your day. You can still drive a car, go to work, show up for friends, family, pets, responsibilities, carry on conversations, do your taxes, all the things that are part of everyday life, but you're able to do them in a more natural and enhanced way. And by enhanced, I mean better focus, less irritability, less anxiety, fewer depressive symptoms, a quieter brain, with the brain, I say, a chance to exhale, all that stuff that's being held up out there all the time, just kind of is let go. The irritating things that seem to be so important on a daily basis, you get some perspective on it. You're able to just brush them off. And the other thing that's really key when we're looking at how is psilocybin different from the pharmaceuticals, there's no loading phase. From the first day that you start taking your microdose, your little tiny amount, of the psychedelic mushroom and you're having that intention of what it is that you're wanting to gain from it, you're getting benefits. It might take a few days to kind of figure out what is the most helpful dose for you and that's where having somebody to come alongside you in that process who is knowledgeable can be really helpful in that. But once you're at that dose that is the healthy, helpful dose for you, again, you take it on the days that you want to take it and you don't have to take it on others. You can stop it, and there's no side effects like there is, again, with the medications. So um, you can stop it, start it, but generally about three to five days a week is your typical dosing regimen for somebody that's microdosing. Nice. Well, now, 
um, when we talk about dosage, the what are the what are the metrics? I mean, we're talking about microdosing here, and we're talking about um, very small quantities. And I mean, how do you um, recognize, I guess, in your psyche that your dosage is is in the ideal spot for you? I mean, what are the what's some of the metrics that uh, you can kind of zero in on the dosage? That's a great question because that is individualized. But I'm gonna I'll provide a few examples that hopefully some of the listeners can kind of resonate with. So um, I had a lady reach out who had started microdosing because she just had overwhelming anxiety. She always had negative thoughts, had a lot of impending doom, you know, fears of the future and things that might happen, um, which, of course, came from some belief systems that were held in the past, a lot of different losses, that kind of thing. And for her, when she first started microdosing, she said, I just feel lighter. I just feel like everything is not so heavy anymore. I can go about my day, and I don't have these, this fear of what's to come. And I received a text from her one day, and she said, I'm standing in my kitchen, and I just feel happy. And I didn't know if I would ever feel happy again. You know, and happiness is a momentary feeling. We don't live in a state of happiness. But to be able to have those moments of just contentment and joy and all is right with the world, so to speak, in that moment, when there hasn't been that for a substantial number of years leading up to that point, is a huge breakthrough. Um, another example would be a vet that we worked with. He was on over a dozen different medications that the uh, VA had put him on, the uh, military hospital here in Colorado Springs. And, I mean, he had a, a roasting pan full of medication bottles. And he was able to titrate off all of those medications. He was going through a divorce at the same time, and he just felt like his emotions were all over the place, vacillating between you know, anger and depression and a lot of anxiety and fear and, and the idea of even just giving up, a lot of suicidal thoughts of what's the point, how am I going to go forward? And as he started microdosing and increasing his dose to overcome where those medications had him at and get him to a place of, of stillness for his mind and re- relief of anxiety, he came off every single one of those pharmaceuticals, 100%. And, you know, what? I'll share a difference there. The gal that was standing in her kitchen and felt that joy and happiness, her dose was 200 milligrams, 0.2 of a gram. This gentleman's dose, who had all these medications to come off of, was 750 milligrams, three-quarters of a gram, or 0.75. There's a big variance in there. But both people were going to work, doing their job, showing up for their family, the gentleman that was in the divorce was able to take a step back from all of the emotional parts of the divorce and have a lot more peace about it and able to make rational, healthy decisions for himself and his children going forward. So, you know, when we look at dosing and finding that dose and what to expect, it's going to be slightly different for each person, but the goal is where are you getting relief of the symptoms that are plaguing you and holding you back from living in your natural state and enjoying your life? And where is it a little bit too much where now you're not able to quite show up because the colors are a little too bright and you probably shouldn't be driving. (laughs) You know, there's kind of a fine line in there sometimes. And sometimes it takes getting to that place as, as individuals are working up their dose and kind of saying, well, if, if some is good, then more is better, right? <laughs> Until more is like, oh, okay, I probably shouldn't be, you know, taking quite this much on a daily basis. But again, <laughs> the, the half-life of psilocybin is only 163 minutes. So we're talking about something that metabolizes and processes through the body relatively quickly, which is why there, it doesn't show up in drug tests. Um, because it is metabolized so quickly. And, and, well, and it's not tested for. So let me clarify that real quick. Most um, drug tests go up to about a 40-panel test. 
and psilocybin is not something that is tested for in your traditional drug tests. So um, if you're asked to provide a hair sample, then it's going to show up in that because, you know, things stay within the hair a lot longer. Um, but if you're taking a urine test, then the half-life is 163 minutes, and even at a macrodose level, the full amount has been processed and excreted through the body in eight hours. So it's not something that the body hangs on to. But again, that's why small doses, you're getting the physiological benefits of what's happening in the brain, but it's, but it's not this, you know, oh, more is better or more is worse. It's not better or worse. It's just different. So when people ask you, well, what are the side effects of taking too much? Well, there's no side effects. You're just going to have a lot more vibrant experience than what you have on the microdose. So right. is that kind of helpful that clarify kind of the what we're looking for, what the individual might be looking for? Sure. And on the extreme end, you're going to a Grateful Dead concert and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and I often I'll tell clients with the small incremental doses, that's why I say you can always take more. Start low. You can always add on to it. But right. you cannot undo what you've done. You just have to write it out. <laughs> so, right. Um, well, look for that but when we're adding, Yes, exactly. And when we're adding just a little bit at a time, you know, it, you're not going to go from – 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams and all of a sudden you're laid out on the couch like, whoa, what is happening? Why are the walls moving? You know, 200 milligrams is not going to do that to somebody. But it might make you feel like your eyes are a little more open and colors are a little more vibrant and you probably need to just kind of hang out for about an hour and let things settle and then go on about your day. So then you're not going to want to take that much on a on a morning basis. You're going to want to just go back to the 100 or 150 milligrams because that's a good functional amount that enhances that creativity, allows you to focus, gives a little more energy because we're hitting those serotonin receptors, um, you know, allows you to kind of just brush things off that don't irritate you. Um, another, I'll share one more story, just uh, another vet that we've been working with for quite a while, and he, again, on lots of medications, but, oh, not mushrooms because, you know, mushrooms are a drug, but I'll take all this poison that the VA is giving me, even though I feel crappy and I'm tired and I'm irritable and I have to take more and my body is gaining weight, all the unhealthy side effects that do come from pharmaceuticals. Finally, he decided he would try microdosing, and uh, so got an email from him sharing a story that uh, he was sitting in the living room and his kids were playing and his son who's about seven years old was swinging around a bat and everyone knows where this is going the bat flies out of his hand and smashes the tv screen and he said prior to microdosing my anger would have just taken over I would have yelled, uh, the kid would have cried, I would have been angry about the TV. He said, instead, I sat there and I watched it, and I said, well, that just happened. (laughs) Because you can't go back. You can't undo the bat flying into the TV. It's just things that happen in life. And we either decide we're going to hold on to these things and determined that, you know, the kid knew he shouldn't have been doing that and you never listened to me and nobody listens to me and kind of on and on with this inner dialogue of self-deprecation or you just say, all right, well, that was an accident. Things happen and nothing I can do about it at this point. What do we do going forward? Nice. Now, I like what you said about decide decide mm-hmm. and, yeah. and your your trademark slogan is grow your own thoughts let's kind of flip <laughs> the coin over because the other day when we were talking it it's like if if you've been in survival mode or if you've been in you know like shoulder to the wheel push through it all it it can be difficult to introduce a whole different like attitude, a whole different uh, perhaps expectation of life to grow your own Mm -hmm. thoughts to, um, I mean, so imagine you've had a decade or two of struggle to grow your own thoughts. That's a doorway to a whole different mindset, a whole different experience of life. How do we... 
Because yeah. uh, if, if we've been in these mental constructs, these mental, deep, rigid mental patterns, deep, rigid emotional patterns, and, mm-hmm. and we come in and we break it all up, we have this vast openness in our consciousness. How do we how do we create a new um, pattern? Uh, do I want to say pattern? But but how do we replace that time in our mind that was occupied by the struggle? How do we bring new thoughts into that realm and load our life up with what we would prefer? Mm. Well, one word that you mentioned is key, and that is expectations. When we have had a number of life experiences, we come to ex- that life is going to continue bringing the same type of experiences. And oftentimes in that, we miss what's happening right in front of us because we're already expecting it's going to have some designated outcome. When we look at the idea of growing your own thoughts, you know, we, we trademarked this um, because, and, and really made it the foundation of our practice at this point because it goes so much deeper than any of these techniques and modalities and therapies and fancy things that, you know, the, the psychology and counseling world wants to come up with. There's nothing wrong with those individuals and what they're trying to do but if we unpack all the stuff and all the verbiage around it what are we all trying to do get back to our very most basic natural self because in nature nature is organized but not that complicated if you ever sit and watch the squirrels in the tree we have a tree right outside our house that the squirrels love to play and we'll sit there and we'll watch and and uh, the idea of one squirrel saying to the other, oh, man, did you see what Jenny did today? Dude, she took all the nuts. I don't even know where she put them, but she's hiding them somewhere, and I'm going to find it out because this is a conspiracy. <laughs> they don't do that. There's no idea that somehow they're trying to be manipulated and they have to create this whole new, you know, dramatic component to their life. No, what do they do? They spread on the branch and soak up the sun. And then they prepare for times to come. And then when hard times come, they know where their nuts are or they become really resourceful and go dig in the trash can. (laughs) But we humans love to overcomplicate things. And in doing that, we put expectations on other people and expectations on ourselves. So the idea of growing your own thoughts and going back to that most basic concept of who we are as humans, what is our role here on this planet? We all want to have this huge overarching purpose. Your purpose is that you're here. Here you are at this time in the timeline of the world, in the family that you're in, in the place that you're in. There's so many aspects of life that we have zero control over, but we spend a lot of time and energy trying to think about how we're going to control them. And in doing that, we really miss out on what's happening right in front of us. So to your point, when we take out all the junk that's in our brain of what does this mean and what does that mean and what am I going to worry about today? And as I say, all the shoulda, coulda, wouldas from the past and the what ifs about the future, we miss the whole point of just being right here in this moment with whoever you're with, wherever you are, just in the moment. And that doesn't mean that we don't work a job, pay our bills, you know, show up for the people around us. But in doing that, we're not trying to create a purpose for our existence in doing that. And when we're no longer trying to create a purpose for our existence, we're not expecting other people to then meet our needs and show purpose in their existence. And there's a lot less irritation and frustration. All you have to do is get on YouTube and type in like uh, customer wars or road rage or something along those lines and you see how angry people are and that anger is rooted in my needs are not being met. You're somehow invalidating my existence here. How dare you say that to me? How dare you cut me off? How dare you not respond to me and give me all the customer service I think I deserve? 
you know, we, we need to get out of our own way and being so focused on the self. And, you know, we're talking about a lot of times a term that comes up when people are doing a macro dose experience. They'll talk about having this dramatic death to the ego. And the ego is the idea of the self. So if we break that down, it's just, wow, get out of your own way. Just be a part of the experience that's bigger than just you and take away some of the definition of what it's supposed to mean or what it's supposed to look like. And so to kind of summarize in that idea of grow your own thoughts is understand the belief systems and the ideas that have brought you to where you are from a psychological standpoint and accent that by adding in psilocybin. Give the brain a chance to think differently and function differently from a physiological place and then the rest of those thoughts tend to kind of find themselves. It's really interesting. You know, I'll have clients say, you know, I just had this thought the other day and I had never thought that way before. Or I'll be working with somebody in a therapeutic session and they'll say, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I've been saying that for six months and they finally got it. <laughs> yes, yay, microdosing. <laughs> right. But that's the thing. The brain is so self-protective that we deem all these experiences to have a significant amount of importance instead of saying these are things that happened. I can look at them from an observation perspective and they don't have to mean anything about me at an emotional place and that separation allows for there to be an opportunity to really think differently and so the growing your own thoughts is growing new neural connections creating new pathways and choosing to think differently rather than saying i need to hold on to these old belief systems because they feel safe because they're what i know think different grow your own thoughts nice well, if I'm listening to this show and, uh, you know, I might think, well, I haven't been in war. I don't have PTSD. How are, um, I would suggest uh, a large percentage of humanity has some form of trauma in their psyche. And yeah. it, even though it's not uh for for some it's not debilitating it's still a uh, uh, drain or a um uh, it it keeps them out of uh, a more joyful experience how so if i'm listening to this can you kind of give us a um a broader idea versus uh I mean, there's war vets and there's, I mean, you might have trauma from living through a flood or a car crash or something. Can you give us a broader idea of of how psilocybin can help us as it relates to perhaps some of, some of the other conditions that aren't always associated with it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, for individuals that have experienced um, large traumas or what sometimes we call um, big T traumas versus little T traumas, you know, big T traumas being war, sexual abuse, violence, um, uh, physical abuse, those sorts of things, or even psychological abuse. And then little T trauma being a car accident, you know, a, a purse being stolen, anything that has disrupted what is happening in the everyday life experience, which I would reckon to say 100% of humans will experience at some point in time. But even if we were to take the idea of trauma out of the human experience, every, every belief that we have comes from a prior thought and a prior idea. From I know there's a number of different countries that are represented in, in your listeners here tonight. And so if you look at each individual society, political system, geographical location, religious culture, um, all of those have traditions and belief systems that drive them from a foundational fundamental place. And those are passed on from generation to generation to generation. So the expectation is that these things will continue. When we stop to question, why am I 
feeling disconnected from this? Why am I running around like, you know, a person that doesn't have enough time in their life experience to actually just sit and breathe and be a human being? Then that's when we get to take that pause. There doesn't have to be any major trauma that happens. Just why have I deemed all these things to be so important? Why is it that I can't have a personal faith belief system without somebody telling me that it has to look a certain way? I'm just, you know, proposing that as a broad question. Same with the political system. Um, You know, we're told it has to look like this. And if you don't believe this, then you're wrong. And if you don't believe this, then you're wrong. And then we have the media and the social media and the Internet and all of these things that are inputting ideas into us all the time until if we don't stop and reflect on why am I doing the things that I'm doing every day, then we just keep going. We're just a cog in the wheel of the system that keeps consumerism and political thoughts and religious belief systems going and going and going. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But what do they mean to us? What would it feel like to sit and let your brain almost visualize this exhale of just letting information go and just being in a space of quietness and contentment with exactly where you are? doesn't mean you're not working towards change in some aspect. Parents often are wanting to, you know, create some sort of um, idea or something that they pass on to their children. I want my kids to have an easier life than I did, so I want to leave this for them or teach them this or that. Instead of just letting each person figure out the things that they find that's their natural self, it's not a state of chaos in doing that. It's a state of natural environment. We teach, we provide information, but if we were to actually encourage the idea of questioning beliefs, questioning why we've always done things this way and so we just do because all the generations before did, then maybe we can let go of some of this anxiety that gets carried around just as part of the human condition. We look at our physical being. You can tell, especially in the United States, People are a lot bigger now than they were 20 years ago from a physical (laughs) standpoint. Why is that? Well, high cortisol levels make you store belly fat. We're all walking around with these big guts. Or we're spending hours at the gym trying to actually, you know, stay in shape so that we're not carrying all this extra weight, but we're still working off the idea of mental stress. So there doesn't need to be a huge trauma or something specific that we point to to say, oh, I need psilocybin or microdosing because of this thing. It allows the brain to go back to a more natural state where you then get to choose, what information do I want to put in? Um, I've just finished writing a book, and a, a big component of it is actually a workbook. So the name of the book is Grow Your Own Thoughts, Microdosing with Purpose. It'll be available at the end of the month on Amazon, but two-thirds of the book is a six-week self-guided manual for individuals who are starting the journey of microdosing, helping them go through how do I find my dosage, what am I noticing, but also really looking at various belief systems. What does it mean to be your natural self? What does it mean to embrace uncertainty um, or to relinquish control? That was a big one for me. You know, so we all have these different ideas that we've been left with of how we survive and how we need to show up and what we're, quote, unquote, supposed to look like, going back to that idea of expectations and letting go of that and becoming a more natural version of ourselves back to our basic self originally is freeing for all humans. Nice. Well, an hour can go by pretty fast. You told us about your book. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Colorado Teletherapy Services and um, anything that would relate to the audience uh, and the services you provide. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Colorado Teletherapy Services is a clinical mental health counseling practice um, that my husband and I started over seven years ago. We have a great team of counselors. Everything we offer is through telehealth. Um, so I say we were telehealth BC, meaning before COVID, before everybody else thought, hey, 
telehealth is awesome, being able to meet online. So it's been a great um, a great platform to be able to connect with people from all over um, and in a space that is comfortable to them. No one drives to an office and judges the art on the wall or the way the hallway smells or the parking lot. You're in your own space and able to communicate in that way, and it seems to be a lot more trust that's readily built and established in that environment. So, you know, our goal is to provide the services that give people a place to really question those thoughts and those belief systems that they've carried for so long and look at those ideas and choose how do they want to implement some changes in their life and understand where these things have come from. Um, and then the microdosing component, uh, we have a group that meets twice a month online and I'd be happy to share about that with anyone who wants to reach out through our website, which is Colorado teletherapyservices.com there's a 24-7 chat bot on there, there's also a contact page and then there's a lot of information on microdosing and some of our other services as well Well very nice Uh, an hour has gone by pretty fast Uh, do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? Uh, Well first I want to say thank you Les for inviting me to the show, it's been really fun to visit with you and through our in-person conversations and getting a chance to do this together. I really enjoyed it. So thank you. And for the audience, you know, just my encouragement to really think about the idea of your natural self and what would it mean to grow your own thoughts and what would it mean to question some of the things that have always been accepted and how would that enhance your life and being willing to not live in fear and open up to the idea of thinking something new. So it can be life-changing. Well, Charity, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I've really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, me as well. Thank you, Les. We've been talking with Charity Mills, and the topic tonight has been mental health benefits of microdosing psilocybin. You know, the the human psyche, for for so much of humanity, the the norm the norm of what, um, what do I want to say, what people have accomplished with their psyche, with their genome, with their persona, so to speak. I want to use really generic terms here, your psyche, your genome, your, your body. You, as consciousness personified, you as a human persona, you have really um, an an endless supply of inspiration, an endless supply of of new possibilities. We're never, ever stuck. You can have a new idea now. You can have a new idea now. You can have a new idea now. And those ideas can shift the tangent, the trajectory of your life, so to speak, into a completely different outcome. Uh, take take music classes, write that book, uh, go, go on an a expedition. These are all simple thoughts, really simple thoughts, single sentences, really. Single sentences extremely simple and yet for a human persona to actually take these simple sentences and put intention and attention on these simple sentences this can be life-changing this can change the trajectory of your life humanity's really We've talked many times about how normal's been thrown out the door. The the normal of uh, 2019 is is way behind us, and we've kind of have a clean slate, so to speak. There's there's a pretty big tug of war for those who who want to persuade society about what our new narratives are going to be. Well, you have a vote in the collective consciousness, and that vote is your persona, your consciousness, your attention, your intention. 
And when you take the time to get clear about that, clear about what you want, clear about what you intend, and then you turn around and put your attention on that, well, that's that's the recipe for change right there. I think the heart of humanity is is hungry for a <clears throat> a more authentic narrative. Uh, a more authentic narrative for humanity where we're supported and nurtured in the fundamental aspects of our culture and certainly in places on the planet that's that's been the norm but for the vast majority of humanity uh, our society has been far too manipulated to really have that organic experience. Well, I want to thank you for spending your consciousness tonight listening to the show. Here we are at the end of the show, and here you are too. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. It's always a pleasure. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living broadcast. If you're looking for spiritual resources, there's literally hundreds of podcasts just like this one, free online. You can find them at newhumanliving.com. If you sign up for the newsletter, I write a weekly blog that helps you contemplate the nature of nature, contemplate the nature of your own human genome, contemplate your own human potential. How powerful is that? I can say it's powerful because you are powerful. I want to thank you for joining us in tonight's broadcast. I appreciate you, the listener. Until next time, thanks for listening.